One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Clash of the Titles, the podcast that sees two movies with something in common. Go head to head to see which one does it better. And welcome to part two of this week's epic face-off. On Monday's episode, we were reminded why you don't go into the sea because that is the shark's house with 1975's Jaws, which famously ran over schedule, taking a whopping 159 days to shoot. Well, today we meet our challenger, a film that can claim to have taken even longer to put together because this adventure was 65 million years in the making. For the next hour, keep absolutely still. It's visions based on movement. From 1993, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Jurassic Park. That was rubbish. <laughs> this is still the introduction. Quiet. Sorry. Sorry. So, which movie will emerge the champion this week? Let's find out. <laughs> it's Clash of the Titles. Release the Kraken. Hello, Clash Potters. I'm Alex Zane. I'm Vicky Crompton. I'm Chris Tilly. Uh, very quickly, don't forget you can follow us on Twitter at ClashPod for all sorts of extras about each movie we cover. And also, please take the time to rate and review us wherever you get your pods. Uh, so, Jaws versus Jurassic Park. As I said, we did Jaws on Monday. Uh, these were Victoria's choices. Reminders of the connection between Jaws and Jurassic Park. Victoria. The connection is Steven Spielberg turns creatures from books into films set to music by John Williams. Yep. It's factual. Uh, so <laughs> I covered Jaws, which means Jurassic Park fell into the lap of a one Christopher Tilly. Christopher, take us on a journey. Jurassic Park is a tale of economic inequality, of the richest 1% owning half the world's wealth, and of dinosaurs eating people because John Hammond refused to pay Dennis Nedry what he's worth. <laughs> Nedry is a brilliant computer programmer who can network eight connection machines and debug two million lines of code. But Dennis is totally unappreciated in his time, and his appetite for food and Hawaiian shirts has landed him in financial bother. Billionaire John <laughs> Hammond won't give him a raise, however, and refuses to discuss the matter. Left with no alternative, Dennis smuggles dinosaur embryos off the island in exchange for the money he deserves. Sure, his, ac- 
Sure, his actions result in multiple violent deaths, but make no mistake, Dennis Nedry is the hero of Jurassic Park with John Hammond's greed, the real villain of the piece. <laughs> um, did this movie touch a nerve about something that happened to you in life, Chris? <laughs> Pay people what they're worth. Um, <laughs> well, I, I, also, I also thought that everyone knows the plot of Jurassic Park, so I would go into more a theory of my own rather than the, uh, the plot wholesale. We've made living biological attractions so astounding that they'll capture the imagination of the entire planet. Dinosaurs and man, two species separated by 65 million years of evolution, have just been suddenly thrown back into the mix together. How can we possibly have the slightest idea of what to expect? Hey, what'd I touch? Uh, I didn't touch anything. We stopped. Anybody hear that? It's a, um, it's an impact armor is what it is. Maybe it's the power trying to come back on. What the hell would man want the hell? Fences are failing all over the park. Are you hearing this? The shutdown must have turned all the fences. Fairly alarmed here. Hold on to your butt. Oh, no. Jurassic Park back online. Yeah, that's nice. Go to go. Come on, come on, come on. We gotta get out of here. We gotta get out of here. The only thing that matters now are the people we love. Which is just a delay. That's all it is. All major theme parks have delays. But John, if the Pirates of the Caribbean breaks down, the pirates don't eat the tourists. So, uh, first watch people. Yeah, I mean, I will say, just very quickly, I did think by the end, when uh, when John Hammond's like, yeah, we're in a poor... Uh, I'm, this park ain't hasn't worked. You like park was fine if <laughs> like actually hadn't hacked it. You wouldn't have had a problem. Like it, yeah. it's it's a it's a fairly good thing you've built here, John Hammond. I mean, ethically, <laughs> there's a question, sure, but don't go blaming yourself for a T Rex escaping. You weren't going to know the fat guy with the Hawaiian shirts, Dennis Nedry, was going to do this. So, when did you guys first watch this film, uh, Vicky? I went to the cinema to see it. It was a massive big deal and so exciting and not at all disappointing. Like a really fun childhood memory. Uh, Alex? It's a really weird one. I know I went to the cinema to see it, but I can't for the life of me remember the occasion or anything about it. Um, so most of my memories come from ITV2. <laughs> <Whether> it's like <laughs> on Always. all the time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, I remember the, the teaser, to be honest. It had such a brilliant teaser trailer. They didn't show you anything from the film. I didn't spoil anything. Uh, we'll post it, but it just sort of gave you the setup. And obviously the name Spielberg kind of sold it and, and the concept. And I read the book before I saw it. Uh, I loved the book. Yeah, and I definitely remember going with my whole family to watch this and everyone loving it, apart from my mum thinking it was a bit gory. I went back a couple of times that summer. And I think it might be the most amazing experience I've ever had in the cinema. Um, E.T. E.T. is the only one that comes close and I was probably too young to appreciate that uh, properly whereas this one was just it was just a magical experience 
I I kind of I've just remembered I kind of scuppered a few of the things in the movie for myself because before the movie came out they released a comic strip based on Jurassic Park and I bought the comics because I was really excited about it beforehand so I'm surprised I can't remember being in the cinema watching it so I already knew some of what happened at the start of the movie and it didn't play out exactly like it did in the comics that I bought and that annoyed me <laughs> a little I was like wow even though the comics were based on the movie um interesting other note, this sounds like you one of your favourite cinema experiences are going up against one of my favourite movies of all time this week, which is a recipe for disaster. So good news. <laughs> it's what makes the class exciting, Alex. Um, so a bit of background. The book was written by Michael Crichton, who was the king of, of high concept. And he'd actually already written Westworld, which was about the attractions in a theme park killing the visitors. So he, he had form on this front. Um and the novel actually began as a screenplay in the early 80s about a student who who recreates a dinosaur. But he, he in his research, he realized that it would just be too expensive for one person to do and, and that there was no real... He couldn't understand why they would do it. There was no need to do it. And so he put it on the back burner before deciding that it would emerge... The idea would emerge from a desire to entertain leading to the, the, the theme park angle. Um but Spielberg was working a few years later, was working with Crichton on a movie script together that eventually became the TV series ER. And um, Crichton told him the story and, and Spielberg saw it as his opportunity to make a good sequel to Jaws is how he put it. Um, so they made a verbal agreement for him to do it. But then um, Crichton's agent started a bidding war on the novel. Um, and that was quite interesting. Warner Brothers tried to buy it for Tim Burton. Um, Columbia tried to buy it for Richard Donner and Fox tried to buy it for Joe Dante. So uh, three quite different Jurassic Parks we could have ended up with. Um, but while that ver- while that bidding war was happening, Spielberg was already storyboarding scenes uh, for what he'd want to do in a movie version because he was so confident and, and he did end up uh, that Universal bought the script for him. And what do you what did you think? Uh, did you say you liked the the book when you read it, Chris? Sorry, I really enjoyed the book. I can't remember too much about it. I mean, I've 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 gone on Wikipedia to have a little look at, at how how similar or different it is because I can't remember. And it is, it, you know, they they are pretty close together, really. I mean, Crichton does write yeah. books that are quite cinematic. You know, there there are exciting action set pieces in his books, so he's he thinks like a filmmaker. Yeah, it, it, only because we did it with Jaws uh, last episode. I think it's only fair that, to sort of point out some of the major differences uh, that I remember uh, between characters in, in the book and the film of Jurassic Park. I remember Gennaro, the lawyer, who's obviously the Weasley guy who um, gets munched in the movie. He's a lot more heroic in the book. I don't. He doesn't leave the kids in a car, for example, <laughs> um, like 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 the bad man that he is in, in the film. And also, the only other interesting bit that I, I have is um, Hammond is not as nice in the book. I don't think he's a lot more cutthroat. He's less of a doddery old man um, who just sort of thought he was doing something nice, and he dies in the book. And the only reason I mentioned that is because he dies in the book um, in the same way that they saved his death in Jurassic Park, the novel, and used it for Peter Stormare, or however his mm. surname is pronounced. I believe we've discussed this on the show before. <laughs> uh, his death in The Lost World is how John Hammond dies with the little dinosaurs uh, after he injures himself and can't move and the little dinosaurs jump on him and chew him to bits. That's how Hammond dies in the book. Mm. Um, so Crichton turned in a script that no one liked and then David Coat was brought in to throw out of all, basically what he did was throw out all of Crichton's characterization. 
He said, whenever they started to talk about their personal life, you couldn't care less. And so he, 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 he was there to sort of bring a bit of wits and humor to proceedings. Um, so they, 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 they got their script together. They, they, they employed a, a paleontologist called Jack Horner to try and back up some of their theories and to advise them. And then I guess the, the, the interesting behind the scenes story is with the technology. Uh, I won't go into detail because I don't know how interesting that is, but dinosaurs were previously created on screen using stop motion puppets or even I've seen a couple of films where they attached prosthetics to lizards. Which do not have not aged. <laughs> they've not aged well. Uh, so they had two years to improve on that. Uh, they went to our old friend Stan Winston um, because of the Alien Queen uh, in Aliens, um, and they said we want you to make life-size dinosaurs. He said he could uh, without knowing how. Um, uh, and then uh, Phil Tippett came on board to craft stop-motion animation like King Kong, Ray Harryhausen, because they thought that would be the way they would create them. But it still looked jerky. He he invented this go-motion technology with the puppets controlled by computers rather than hand, but that still didn't look right. And then famously, Dennis Murin at ILM called and said he could pull off dinosaurs digitally. And um, and Dennis Murin is another friend of the show because he created the stained glass window night in Young Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> Yay! Uh, <laughs> and, 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 he, uh, and he also worked nostalgia. On the... <laughs> he worked <laughs> nostalgia for a previous Clash Pod. That's a thing. <laughs> so uh, he animated a, a herd of Gallimimus skeletons uh, running through a still photo of Hawaii. Um, apparently, when George Lucas watched that footage. Um, he was crying. And the quote I've got from him is um, slightly bombastic. He said, it was like the invention of the light bulb or the first telephone call. Things were never yeah. going to be the same. It's not like that, though, is yeah. it? No. Is it? Things it's were kind of the same, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the dinosaurs look cool, but the world was the same. Uh, Tippett, Tippett saw the footage that they created of a T-Rex and, and famously told Spielberg, I think I'm extinct, which is a line that they uh, they used in the film. But they kept Tippett on board as an animator. Um, so he worked together with Murin's computer artist and Stan Winston robotic team. And that's how they created these dinosaurs. It was a combination of all these different processes um, working together, which is why we've got effects that, you know, haven't dated all that badly compared to films that have come much more recently. Yeah. And that was the that was the big thing, wasn't it? I mean, that, you know, it, it, although they never used it in the the same way, like for example, Superman used the tagline "You'll believe a man can fly." The whole uh, like furore about this movie coming out was dinosaurs. Like you're gonna see dinosaurs that look like dinosaurs. We're almost gonna for the first time ever see dinosaurs like on screen, which look like what dinosaurs would have looked like when they were alive. It was, that was the excitement as a kid anyway. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. difficult to state how a, a bigger deal it was because we've had so many sequels to this film and, you know, CG is everywhere now. But at the time, this was a big, uh, a big selling point and a big moment of excitement to actually be in the cinema and see these, what they'd done. So the only other thing I was going to say beforehand is, is that um, Spielberg, when he finished the film, he, didn't, he wasn't there to edit it because he went off to make um, Schindler's List. So he was having satellite conferences with the effects teams four times a week while um, while shooting. And, and he said he found it a bipolar experience bouncing between the Holocaust and dinosaurs. And, and he said every, it took every ounce of his intuition to make Schindler's List and every ounce of his craft to make Jurassic Park. So a pretty remarkable year in the life of a filmmaker, that one. 
Mm. So, any more about and the I feel like, uh, not 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 he's not sure uh, he's not short of a few remarkable years in Spielberg. So the fact that this is you know, I mean he he also made a, another movie, one of the greatest movies ever made, which I know we've talked about already this week, Jaws. So that was a remarkable year too. I, I mean, I'm I'm just sort, I'm just sort of adding a bit of parity to that. I don't want you to lean too heavily on Jurassic Park being being a better film than Jaws. Just adding a bit of parity there. <laughs> uh, carry on, Christian. Yeah. Thank, thanks, Al. Uh, so the movie. Um, cold o- like Jurassic Park, we've got the cold open, haven't we? Uh, this is a dinosaur yeah. in a cage. Again, we don't see yeah, it but, either. But you don't see it, and it drags him. So it drags the worker like up and down in the cage. Yeah, like Chrissy in the sea is dragged from side to side. It's the same. It's the same. Yeah. There's your connection, Victoria. Why didn't you use that? <laughs> I forgot. <laughs> <Basically>. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and we we also get uh, we also get to see um, that in Jurassic Park in this world that Steven Spielberg has created, men can look hard and wear shorts simultaneously. Absolutely. But, but shorts that are too I short mean, as well. And doesn't yeah. he have socks on? Hasn't he got yeah, knee high socks on? Yeah. Ro- Robert what? Muldoon, the game yes. warden. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Amazing. Yeah. He, like you know, I mean, he's helped by carrying a a shotgun. So I guess if a man is wearing shorts, he should also carry a shotgun, and that mm. offsets how not hard you look in shorts. <laughs> you, you you know how a dog, could, uh, an owner, can start looking like their dog. Do you think? I feel, like, <laughs> I feel like Muldoon starts looking like his prey, the Velociraptor, a little bit in this film. Yeah, is that, is that just is that just me being an idiot? No, he's got a very he's got a great relationship with those raptors. I, I I didn't want to say this now, but it's coming up naturally anyway. He's the only one in the whole park that seems to have understood that ostensibly the dinosaurs are girls. And everyone else forgets. We have a big scene in the lab. Oh, they're girls, they're girls. Newman from Seinfeld says to a dinosaur, I thought you were one of your bigger brothers. Wrong. She hasn't got any brothers. She's only got sisters. And um, Sam Neill at some point says, T-Rex, he wants to hunt. Wrong. That is a lady T-Rex. Get it fucking right. Mm-hmm. Right, it's done now. It's done. You can relax. Done, done, done. I just had to get that off my chest. Yeah. It was really annoying me. Sorry, right. sorry, sorry. Do you know what? The fact that you've noticed something there, Victoria. Clever girl. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Uh, we've we've then got a series of conversations about um, lawsuits, safety concerns, inspections, investors. Um, it's the insurance storyline, uh, which it feels to be a bit like the, the trade deals at the start of Phantom Menace. It's just. It's not particularly <laughs> exciting information. Um, and I think the film does this a couple of times, actually, where we, we get bogged down in exposition, which isn't dinosaur related. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we meet, uh, we then meet Ellie and Grant, uh, played by Laura Dern and uh, Sam Neill. And uh, Grant's a fun character. He hates computers, he hates kids. Um, <laughs> Sorry, yeah. I've just got written down. Sam Neill hates computers and kids, and that's his character arc, right there. And if I, we I've, I've got written down. I've got written down. That's how you talk to kids. I love it. <laughs> well, first question: We meet him at a dig because he's a paleontologist. Why is there a little kid at the dig? And I then don't know. Why is Sam Neill abusing that kid with a claw and, and threatening yeah. to spill his intestines and yeah. telling him yeah. you'd still be alive when the Velociraptor eats you? 
genuinely that you would there'd be so many problems with that if Laura Dern didn't basically voice what everyone's thinking when she goes why don't you just pull a gun on him you're like thank you Laura Dern because that the fact that you've acknowledged that that might have been a bit much means we're going all right cool because really what the hell like it's like it's like pulling a knife out and going I could cut you if I wanted to you little brat I'm like what? And we also uh, meet John Hammond, who... Uh, and, owned, uh, and John Hammond's accent, which needs yeah. a character in its own right. <laughs> so where, he, is, where is he from? <laughs> so he's played by Richard Attenborough. He, he was compared to... The character was compared to Walt Disney at the time. Um, Spielberg says that John Hammond is him, like he says Elliot is him, and Peter Pan in Hook is him. He does this a lot. But he said, um, yep. he said in a way, Jurassic Park tells the story of any studio head having a bad year who needs a hit and and that's what he uh thinks john hammond as uh but also i feel like in this day and age he'd be an elon musk like character wouldn't he he'd probably be a young clever tech dude rather than an old um ideas man yes that's interesting who um yeah okay yeah i like that yeah I was like, well, because, you know, at that time, the billionaires were old men, whereas now the billionaires are are kids, aren't they, basically? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Anyway, uh, just a thought. So uh, let's get onto the island where we meet Ian Malcolm, a chaostician. Um, (laughs) I love this guy. (laughs) I want to know who does the PR for chaos people, because I think if you're a chaos theorist, scientist person, you don't look like that. You do not wear that much black. You don't wear cool glasses. You're a geek, but someone's gone, we can't have that on screen. So anytime a chaos theory person pops up, they're like this louche, <laughs> super cool. He doesn't wear seatbelts because he's too fucking cool to wear a seatbelt kind well, of guy. Sam Neill I talks just... about him uh, on one of the behind the scenes documentaries done sort of 20 years after us. Uh, and he says that um, he seems annoyed. He says in the script, Ian Malcolm was nerdy, but Goldblum turned up all buff. Um, <laughs> and then later in the film, when the not to get ahead of myself, but when the T Rex attacks, I believe Ian Malcolm in the in the script didn't really do a huge amount. But suddenly Sam Neill said, "What's he doing?" And he, he Goldblum had spoken to Spielberg and got himself a hero moment. And so I think Sam Neill, <laughs> Sam Neill, could see out the corner of his eye this guy absolutely stealing the film from under him, and he wasn't. Oh no, but with that, it. no. That's fair enough, because even in the film that you have on the screen, Jeff Gorm doesn't fucking do anything. His whole arc is turn up, be a bit loose, get his leg bust, kind of the end. That's it, the end. He doesn't have an arc of any sort. I know he gets one Mm. hero moment, but if he had to fight for that, imagine how shit it was for him before. Yeah, and the film is, uh, you know, I mean, not getting ahead of ourselves as well. I think the second half of the film is weaker for Les Goldblum because he is like... Just lying on the table, yeah. Yeah, he's a firecracker at the start. He's really, really good. Although I imagine he smelled because uh, <laughs> like, of all the leather. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You like? I mean, he must have known it was a tropical island, and yeah. did no one go? Do you have a t-shirt with you or something? <laughs> like, that's a leather jacket, and are those leather trousers? <laughs> Uh, so our scientists are in a jeep and they see the Brachiosaurus for the first time in the middle of a field. So this per- this first big reveal happens in daylight. I have no idea how they were surprised by this huge dinosaur in the middle of a field. It sort of catches them <laughs> off guard when they see it. Um, it, it, it oh, I in- thought of another connection. I thought of another connection between the films. Yeah. When people yeah. are surprised and stressed, they take their glasses off. <laughs> 
when they see the brachiosaurs, they're like, oh my God, take my hat off. Oh my God, take my glasses off. And in Jaws, Hooper takes his glasses off when he gets stressed out. So it's just, you know, there you go. That's a Steven Spielberg tell for when people are stressed <laughs> out and surprised. All right, just to be, just to clarify, I, I, I didn't hate your connection that much, Victoria. You've got nothing to prove here. We are friends, all right? <laughs> you don't have to... You don't improve on your connection. It was fine. It was just very fundamental. Like, okay. yeah, it was, yeah. But, but you're right. And, and the look that Sam Neil, like, I, I, it's one of my favorite moments. Like, whether whether or not he could have, like, should have seen the dinosaurs before. It, like, <laughs> my my heart like flutters when he takes the glasses off. He sells that moment as a guy who studied dinosaur skeletons all his life, seeing a dinosaur for the first time perfectly and the fact that laura dern's going this leaf shouldn't be here this bloody leaf and he's like look over there laura yeah it it, it captures that so sam neil's capturing that the sense of wonder that we're feeling as an audience um which helps make that work and and even when he says oh they're moving in herds they do move in herds you can you can sense his excitement The, the, the script actually had the reveal a bit different and it felt like a more spielberg reveal where they are, they're in a forest uh, and they're walking past a tree trunk and then another before realizing they are actually the legs of the dinosaur. <laughs> um, but they changed this, and I, yeah, I've got no problem with it. I think it, it's one of the great. It's honestly, think one of the great movie moments. Being in a cinema, seeing that in 1993 was was pretty special. But um, well, exactly. But, I mean, that's you know, that's the it's the it's the promise of the premise. You're there, and you're like, I want to see Dino. Oh my God, dinosaurs! <laughs> They've done it. Ticks the box. <laughs> They've done it. Um, and so I feel like the film could get going now, but instead we get a science lesson, and then a tour, and then a debate on the ethics <laughs> of cloning, which is <laughs> it's fine and it's relatively interesting, but it's not what anyone's really signed up for with this movie. Um, it is yeah. now. I, D, Mr. DNA, he's my, he's my, I'm, I don't want to spoil it, but Mr. DNA is my MVW. He's brilliant. <laughs> hey, Mr. DNA. <laughs> I love him. Why he didn't get a series off the back of this, I would watch a Mr. DNA cartoon. It's education and entertainment. It's edutainment, Chris. Uh, it, this scene also has, uh, this sequence also has uh, something I noticed for the first time on this watch that completely shocked me. And it's something Gennaro says when he's no, referencing I, the animatronic. Alex, what, do you want to yes. say the quote, Alex? What the what the hell's yeah. going on? <laughs> I mean, I, I I just watched Jaws, and I was like, okay, so Spielberg likes his actors to ad lib, but you if you don't then keep them in. You go, <laughs> yeah, that was rubbish. Do something else or nothing. <laughs> Gennaro, like, is looking at the the scientists who are obviously human. There is no denying they are human. So let's take <laughs> take that into account to begin with. He's looking at human people, and then he says to um, John Hammond, he goes, are those, um, are those characters um, uh, auto, auto? And you, you're thinking he's going for animatronic. And then he goes, are they auto-erotica? No, he doesn't. Auto-erotica. <laughs> what the hell that is, is that not doing that. in Jurassic Park? What the hell is that doing in Jurassic Park? I mean, I guess it's a joke. It's a weird joke. It's really adult, and it's... But it's, it's the, the only joke it is is him being an idiot. It's like yeah. it's basically going, yeah. We, I mean, was there a shortage of lawyers in the world when this film was going to be released? So they were like, mm-hmm. oh, we're killing the lawyer, so we need to add something else to make him killable. So if he's really stupid as well, like a bad <laughs> lawyer, then we can definitely kill him. Because it's like, well, who goes to law school and then thinks human beings are autoerotica? <laughs> imagine saying that sentence. Is that person an autoerotica? What do you mean? 
What do you actually mean? Are you mad? Are you a mad person? Um, in the in the, in these conversations, uh, we get some of the famous quotes from the film, like um, "Life finds a way." We get Ian Malcolm saying, "Your scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not they could, they didn't stop to think if they should." And we also get a weird critique of marketing and merchandising um, and the evils of, of turning this into an attraction, which is interesting from a film um, that did historic deals with <laughs> McDonald's, Kenner, Sega, yeah. and Ford. Uh, but it feels yes. like Spielberg's having his cake and eating it. And he even comes back to it later when the camera pans across all the merchandise they've done. It's like, what yeah, they're point, in the you, shop. Like, what point what? are you trying to make here? You know, um, but very cleverly, you know, they were so on point here that the, 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 the logo of the park in the movie became the logo of the film in real life. So the film's poster was a plot point in the movie. So um, smart minds at work with this. Um Another thing about Gennaro, do you not think they're telling us he's the villain by the fact he's wearing shorts with brown leather shoes? <laughs> that's a villainous. Yeah, that's I a did. villainous look if ever I've seen one. Uh, it's a strong. It's a strong look. I like. I like the bit. Are you, you going to touch on the bit where they go into the lab and you see the little baby Velociraptor being born? No, that's go for it, Al. Um, oh, I love that moment where the little baby Velociraptor's born. I think I look because. Again, it's a model, but I'm like, for, for me in that scene, that is a real dinosaur being born. And yeah. I like it up until um, John Hammond turns up and goes, oh, I told you to let me know when they were being born. I, you know, I like to be here. I'm here for every creature that's born in the park because I'm the first living creature they come into contact with. So I imprint on them. It mm. helps them to trust me. And you're like, what are you talking about? <laughs> What on earth are you talking about? Like, no, yeah, shut up, John. Are you mad? Are you a mad person? You're not imprinting on them at all. It's not going to, they're not going to trust you. Have you wandered around your park having imprinted on some of these animals and gone, hello, me again, I imprinted on you? No, you'd be dead. <laughs> we're, we're now 45 minutes into the film and they decide to give us a, a lecture on chaos theory. So we're still learning rather than uh, watching. But then we, uh, the, the, the team stumbles across the, the sick Triceratops, um, yeah. which it, it looks real, I think. I mean, it's a, it, it took 11 puppeteers in an underground pit controlling it. But um, obviously, this is a practical effect. And I think that seems really effective. Um, uh, agree. Agree. Up until the poo, the piles of poo. <laughs> I ju- I'm not. I'm not even doing a joke. I like. I genuinely think you're absolutely right. The Triceratops is brilliant. When they go to look at the poo, I'm like, I don't understand why the poo piles are that big. Like because they, they, those poo piles are too big to have come out of the Triceratops themselves. They're like perfect pyramids of poo, and they span higher. The Triceratops would have to get its bum in the air, like stand on a stool to poo that high. Which means that someone is out there piling up dinosaur poo in the park, which seems like a ridiculous job to have to do. Just let them poo. And they don't have to then pile it up. Why are the poo piles that high? It's a great question. It's a great question. Okay. Uh, the Triceratops as well. I, I, can I talk about a tweet I did, if that's all right? Uh, do in- we don't have a... What's our policy? Sorry, just to check. What's our policy <laughs> on cross-promotion? Um, it, God, it, sorry, it, I haven't got I've it in front of me. I've, okay. I've just brought up our guidelines. Let me let me just scan through them here. They're on my... I've, brought, I've got the document. 
Yeah. Vicky can talk about tweets because she doesn't have a Twitter account. <laughs> Alex's, tw- Alex's Twitter account is brilliant at Alex underscore Zane. Uh, <laughs> sorry, it's just sort of we never got round to you, Chris. Um, yeah. Let's judge it on this. It's an anniversary tweet. I, I weirdly, I from the day we're recording this, I tweeted this five years ago today on June the 9th, twenty fifteen, and it's no, what, it's my most viral tweet, and it's due with Jurassic Park. It had two thousand retweets and two and a half thousand likes. Do you know who Joyce Carol Oates is? Yes. No. So she's a literary oh. icon. She's written 58 novels. She's won countless awards. She's this real intellectual. I tweeted a picture of Steven Spielberg next to the Triceratops from behind the scenes because um, I thought it looked a bit like those awful safari trophy killing photos that were going around at the time. And so I wrote, yeah. this guy thinks it's cool to kill defenseless animals, then take a selfie jerk. That's what I wrote. Mm-hmm. Joe's Carol Oates responded by saying, so barbaric that this should still be allowed. No conservation oh, laws no. in effect wherever this is, question mark. Which oh, no. went viral. <laughs> but it's not really the fact that it went viral that's interesting. <laughs> it then turned into a news story that The Guardian, Newsweek, The Huffington Post, USA Today, Entertainment Weekly, they all wrote articles with the headlines um, to the effect of Joyce Carol Oates thinks Steven Spielberg killed the dinosaurs. Oh, no. I saw that tweet. I remember. I think when I was researching this movie, I remembered that tweet and thought, oh, maybe I'll mention that. And then it seemed too long. I didn't realise that was your tweet. That was hilarious. (laughs) I actually felt guilty afterwards because I... But it's not my fault if this woman's stupid. Um, <laughs> she, she then, she then, she then tried to claim by she then backtracked by saying that she was in on the joke and she was making a joke herself. But too late, too late. The cat was out of the bag. Uh, yeah, they, they, they no one ever hears about the explanation. It's it's too late by that point. Late. People only hear about the uh, the accusation. Yeah. <laughs> oh wow, that's great. All right, back to the film and. And we're we're in the T Rex attack moment. Um, oh no, sorry. I, we we do have the ah uh, ah uh, ah. Uh, you didn't say the magic word ah uh, ah uh, ah, uh, which oh, is God. something uh, happens on the computer, and I still see that and hear that in my brain sometimes when I get a password wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. But, um, uh, we should we should also talk about the fact that as they're approaching the um, Tyrannosaurus Rex paddock. Um, you know, we do have Robert Muldoon looking hard as nails in shorts and yeah. without a shotgun at this point going, quiet, all of you. They're approaching the Tyrannosaur paddock. And you're like, this park seems incredibly dangerous. Like, everyone seems to be like, this isn't a safe place to have sent kids out in a car to explore. No, by themselves, you, basically. You, exactly. You've got Samuel L. Jackson after it all kicks off uh, and he's like, they have to bring them back. This is before the T-Rex attack. He's going, it could have been worse, John. It could have been a lot worse. And you're like, well, then Not don't really. put them out there. Yeah. <laughs> like, and also it's your grandkids and you don't really seem to give a shit. There's two things. Samuel L. Jackson's got to stop smoking or we've got to stop doing this podcast because I don't know how I'm supposed to ever quit smoking because we watched too many films from the 90s where people smoke in the most inappropriate setting constantly and it drives me insane and second of all it's the raptors like when i was little i hated the raptors because they were a distraction from the t-rex but they're watching it now i get it because they're more affordable to be able to have running around the place and they are very uh lethal as robert muldoon says they're smart they're fast they're lethal begs the question how are they going to function in a theme park setting at all like what is the point of having them if all i get what (laughs) 
No, I, I, I wrote down exactly the same thing. I went, when they go to the Velociraptor cage uh, to see the Velociraptors in its feeding time and they put the cow in, and, like, all you see, and that is the exhibit. That is where yeah. people who have paid £10,000, $10,000 a ticket, are going to go, great, we get to see the Velociraptors. And all it is is some bushes moving. Like, you've... <laughs> You filled it with bushes. You can't see a single thing. And I'd be like, give me my fucking money back. This isn't called Moving Tree Park. Yeah. I didn't come to see some trees move. Uh, yeah, that's terrible. And on the smoking thing, I think you're wrong. I nearly gave up smoking <laughs> because what the hell? Has Samuel L. Jackson ever? He's smoking the filter. I know. I know. It's that. It's disgusting. It makes me feel sick. And it's not like, I get it. You're saying, oh, he's stressed, so he's just smoking. And you're like... He is a smoker, though, so he must know that he's just smoking a filter. And it's not like he has it. It's not like he goes, "Shit, I'm smoking the filter," and puts it out. He no. takes a puff on the filter. He like sucks chemical filter and goes, "Yeah, John, we need." And you're like, "This is I'm. I'm are you mad?" <laughs> <laughs> okay, finished. right. Let's let's talk about the T Rex attack, but let's talk about it after this quick break. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. He just says, how many holes does a straw have? Zero, one, or two. The internet can't figure it out, so I've done what any sane person would do. Ask the Luke and the Pete. Join me, Pete Donaldson, and Luke Moore for an unplanned half hour every Monday and Thursday as we talk about, well, anything really, from your emails to life's great mysteries to this guy. The noise you're going to hear sounds like a man being interrupted by a car. He isn't being interrupted by the car. He is making... 
breaking yes. the car sound. How on earth is he doing that? Beep, 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 beep. How does he make that noise? Listen now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Beep, 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 beep. The Luke and Pete Show is a Stakhanov production. And we're back, right, the T-Rex attack. So this is a, a, a perfect combination, I think, of the practical and the digital effects here. And it's a real masterclass from Spielberg in escalation of action and drama and violence and horror. Um, he got the idea for the rumbling, uh, uh, telling them where the dinosaur was coming from, sitting in his car and listening to Earth, Wind and Fire at full volume, apparently. And it was making his rearview mirror um, shake. And so um, he wanted to use it in the movie and it ended up being one of the toughest things for them to figure out. They couldn't figure out how to make the glass of water vibrate in the way that Spielberg wanted to do it. And eventually one of the tech guys realized that by playing a guitar at the right frequency, they could control the vibration. So there's someone underneath that car strumming a guitar in that scene. (laughs) That's a brilliant fact. That That is um, it's so. I mean, never has a glass of water been so terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> that is a terrifying. And it's glass of water. and that's like a proper trailer moment. I think by this time they were really thinking about the trailers when they were making the movie. You know, a couple of Samuel L. Jackson lines were perfect for the trailer, and, and that scene is is the way you start a trailer, isn't it? But um, mm. you're talking about them. You know, in, in the Jaws episode, Al, you were talking about the fact that that you know that what were they thinking putting this mechanical shark in the water? Well, here Spielberg decided halfway through the shoot he wanted to this scene to happen in the rain. Universal Studios and the studio that they built, but they weren't waterproof. The dinosaurs, so they literally had no idea if they would function. Um, and if you look at behind the scenes uh, shooting of the film, Stan Winston's people have got brooms and towels just drying the dinosaur between each shot because they literally didn't know what would happen if they got too wet. So and they'd not thought of um, a giant dinosaur umbrella. So there's yeah. a problem. Yeah. <laughs> and also, did no did no one say to Spielberg, "Do you remember Jaws? <laughs> yeah. Do, do yeah. you want to do you live remember all that, that water? Yeah, and that was stressful, wasn't it? Take your glasses off. It was that stressful. <laughs> I want it to be raining, but I want it to be really salty rain. Stephen, <laughs> stop it. <laughs> so the the sound of the the T Rex, they used a crocodile, a lion, but actually the bulk of the sound of that roar. Is is a baby elephant screeching, which I was. Oh, why is he screeching? Oh, because Spielberg Spielberg was burning it. Spielberg was burning it at the time. It set fire to its tail. Yeah, Victoria, you can you can do a lot of things, but you cannot lie. No one, (laughs) and I do mean no one who's ever listened to this podcast before was convinced that you go. Oh, what was happening to the baby elephant? No one believed that. You couldn't sell it. You couldn't even begin to sell it. Uh, but this is a solid 10 minutes of, of proper excitement. Um, do, do you think this still is effective 20, 27 years on, this sequence? I think it's brilliant uh, from a, that they try to... Basically, this, it sounds awful, but they try to kill the kids first because you're watching it as a child and it's clear that the director is not going to like make you feel safe because the T-Rex, you know, with the plexiglass, with the roof of the car coming through and they're sort of trying to kick it, whatever... Um, that says I will kill these children if I want to, which is a really good way as a child to make you think, oh, all right, we're in for it here. The other thing I got confused was is when the little boy, uh, Timmy, 
is trapped into the car. It sort of spins around and around. And I thought, why did that not rip his leg off? But um, maybe the, I'm, I'm nitpicking. <laughs> yeah, I think you are a bit. I'm, I, I loved it. I mean, the only thing I, I felt this time watching it, and it is still uh, just, I think you're absolutely right. It's an a phenomenal sequence the the matching up of animatronics and cgi and everything it's so good is like dr grant and dr malcolm are in no hurry to help those kids no like, they're a not a lot of shit goes down and they <laughs> sit there and sort of wipe the condensation of the glass and peer through it at which point the t-rex has got its mouth in the car and the kids <laughs> are screaming for their lives and they're like ba, 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 do you want i I thought you were gonna. Um, no, I'm. I was waiting for you to. Shall we? I guess we should. <laughs> so, like, get out there. Uh, one thing I do wonder about, though, is is you, the the lawyer um, Gennaro gets eaten while he's sitting on a toilet, which is kind of played for laughs. And some of this stuff is then intercut with um, Dennis Nedry's death, and and which he hits his head, and it's all quite slapstick. And I don't know if it's the most eff- the, the, the Jurassic Park I want to see where it's slightly slapstick and funny and, and the deaths are played for laughs and quite broad rather than being proper horror. I don't know. I not- think when you were younger, like I remember what we talked about when we were younger having seen it was mm-hmm. um, the, fr- the frill neck dinosaur and he tries to feed it. Doesn't he try and give it a chocolate bar or something? And we thought yeah. that was brilliant because it is funny, but it is also quite scary because obviously just gets like torn to bits in the car. Hmm. Yeah, I um, I, I I kind of feel that uh, I know it's not scary in the classic horror sense, Gennaro's death, but for me, um, like it's up there with Jack Palance dying in a dressing gown in mm. Batman, like wearing shorts on a toilet and meeting your death is like oh, I do not want to go like that. That is embarrassing, undignified, <laughs> isn't it? Mm. Um, yeah. you, you've got the, a little bit later there's sort of an addendum to this scene where the dinosaur's chasing um, Jeff Goldblum uh, Ian Malcolm on the back of the of the jeep uh, he does a rear view mirror gag which he did in Close Encounters um, he has a rear view mirror gag where where uh, Dreyfus thinks it's a, a car behind him the lights and so he waves the car on and then the lights go up in the air <laughs> which, oh yeah <laughs> So he's good at those. And I find it a bit disappointed that the T-Rex just gives up. That's how they, they get away from the T-Rex, is it just calls it a day. Um, yeah, yeah, but that's realistic, I think, because it can't... Yeah. Well, i tell you what, there's a lot of debate in these dinosaur fact books, fact books that are in my house about how fast a T-Rex could actually run. And I've got one book that says... That a 32 T-Rex miles an hour. It's yeah, exactly. The movie. Yeah, but, then, but that's like... I can't do maths, but it's more than 20 years. Oh, oh shit, is that right? It's from 1993. So the stuff that they years didn't a, know. Years, a years are a measurement of time and uh, miles an hour are a measurement of speed. So that's why that's why you've scuppered yourself there <laughs> well, already. Well, and, okay. in, in spite of the fact they had Jack Corner uh, sitting in the corner. And, and, uh, sorry, that's made me laugh. <laughs> that's what you made me laugh. Uh, uh, giving them direction on this film. I, it does merge eras and and creatures and um it's not particularly uh realistic some of the traits oh, that these well, creatures no. have and the deaths and stuff so Here i think we've go. just got to suspend your disbelief for this one rather than saying well a t-rex wouldn't run that fast or that slow no what do, what do your books say victoria uh 70 kilometers an hour which i think is 50 miles an hour 
but I don't know if that's right. Anyway, what I was going to say was Jeff Goldblum. So this is what they thought in 93. I I presume they thought it was true. But in these dinosaur books I've got, it's not true. Jeff Goldblum says nature picked dinosaurs for extinction. That is wrong. It was a meteor in Mexico. Like Timmy says, like that's now that's just a fact. They, they weren't selected for extinction. A meteor blocked out the sun. The plants died. The plant-eating dinosaurs died. The meat-eating dinosaurs died. There you go. Clever girl. Have they confirmed it? Have they? <laughs> <laughs> have they? Have they? Have they uh, I thought there were so many different theories. Is that now? Have they all decided on the meteor theory? I thought it could have been anything from like mammals, uh, like loads of new mammals eating dinosaurs' eggs as food, or like um, the change in the temperature of the planet, or because of the meteor. No, every book. I mean, these books, I don't know how rigorous their fact checking is because they're for five year olds, but they are going really strong on the meteor theory. Mm. Right, 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 right. Okay. And uh, for what what age group did you say these are university uh, (laughs) paleontological books? No, these are for three to five year olds. Uh Okay. Okay. Well, good. It's a good theory. Moving (laughs) on, uh, we find out that the dinosaurs are changing sex, and that is how life found a way, thanks to the amphibian DNA. Um, We get a lovely shot of Jeff Goldblum reclining with his shirt wide open, which has become a famous image. (laughs) And (laughs) so hot. It is. Goddamn hot. (laughs) And we've got. I mean, obviously, pause, check that out. And we've got Timmy flying off an electrified fence, which is an it's endlessly ridiculous. amusing image. But why doesn't it kill him instantly? It does. He's dead. No, <laughs> but he's not dead, Sam is he? Neil- he is. He stopped breathing and everything. He's proper dead. That's why Sam Neil. Some- if Sam Neil just kissed him, that's a different film, Victoria. He's giving him mouth to mouth. Yeah, but his brain should be like fucking vegetable soup. Like it, it shouldn't have a brain left because he should be beyond resuscitation. It's ten thousand million now. Wait, I don't know my measures of electricity. Where it hurts. What do, <laughs> what, what do, Not what do your girl. books say? What do your books <laughs> say about it, Victoria? Why don't you uh, go back to your books? <laughs> I'll, go back to, I'll let. I'll let. I'll put it on Twitter. I won't. Let's move on to the Velociraptor attack in the kitchen because that is the other big action oh, set piece. Wait, oh, wait, can we talk about one thing, which is the one thing that bothered me this time that I hadn't noticed before is the bit where it's just sort of casually dropped into conversation at the hour and a half mark uh, in the movie of a two-hour movie with 30 minutes to go. They mention verbally, there's no sort of visual evidence of this, they go, oh, yeah, Lex is a hacker. Oh, my God, thank way. you. It's so frustrating. It's so important. Yeah. And Timmy goes, well, at least you're not on your computers like usual. She's like, shut up, Timmy. What is that? Are you kidding me? <laughs> like, yeah. Bearing in mind what comes up later, all you have to do is have her on a little video console thing when she's coming into whatever, and he's like, put it down. You're always on that. Job done. Right. Just get it exactly. done. It's so frustrating. She's a hacker, which, again, may come in useful later. It's There's a bit in Jurassic <laughs> World which does exactly the same thing. And I like you sort of... You sort of kind of expect it a bit more from Jurassic World. You don't expect it from Jurassic Park, but in Jurassic World, the kids, uh, the kids in that find a Jeep, um, an old gas-powered Jeep from the original movie um, that we're talking about now, and they want to use it. And one of them just goes, oh, um, we need to jumpstart it. Remember like we used to with Grandpa's car Perfect. in the garage. And yeah, you're like, great. Oh, what, what? Come on. That'll do. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, the Velociraptors um, in this sequence are one of the reasons Spielberg wanted to make the film. He wanted to see prehistoric creatures in a modern setting. Um, 
uh, in a I lab, in a kitchen. And and I th- there's a similarity with gremlins here a little bit with the chaos. You're seeing these very unusual creatures causing chaos in a, in a domestic environment. Um, but yeah, again, they, this is a melding of all these different technologies. So early on in this scene, it's actually a bloke in a suit. I don't know if you've seen the behind the scenes of the the, the poor bloke trying to walk in this velociraptor suit. <laughs> kind of in a, in a crouch he had to he had to he had to train for months in sort of a skiing um crouch and then and then they would have to hang him up from the ceiling between takes because he couldn't come out of the outfit and he couldn't stand up um, oh my God. <laughs> but there's great footage of the pre-production meetings of spielberg just with his with the with the puppeteers and the technical team saying oh wouldn't it be great if he could just like tap his toe his toenail that would be a really effective thing and all these ideas he's that are coming out of him that end up in the movie um mm. one thing they wanted was the, Velo- the velociraptor to stick its tongue out like a snake and that's when james horner in the corner told them no that, that, that mm-hmm. they were more you know he's the one that kept pushing that they're more like birds than, <gasps> than snakes. i've got another fact i've got another fact it's now accepted that velociraptors had feathers that's a fact i i can prove it i what i can't prove it right now because it's in the book but that's a fact they had feathers they weren't just like birds they were just like birds and they had feathers fact they, they were um, they were so very much good. like turkeys weren't they i think that's the comparison that that gets made by actual paleontologists that they were the, the turkey of the dinosaur world yes we should um we should give a lot of credit to um one of our major uh sources of information uh on this episode which is my first big book of dinosaurs that's so, li- um, literally what it's called yeah <laughs> Uh, and the bit where the velociraptor breathes on the glass is very cool. I love that bit where it like huffs and the glass steams <laughs> up. And, and I it, think that's great. And it mistakes it mistakes reflection for being Lexi, which really uh, it confuses you in the audience for a brief second. You're as confused as the velociraptor is to that moment. So it's one of those yeah. clever Spielberg. That's the best uh, bit. Conceit. Yeah. And it, it, feel, it feels in this like the kids are making the most of the environment to try and survive in a very believable way. It, I, I, I love it and I like it and I hate the evolution of this scene in Jurassic Park 2, The Lost World, when the kid uses in that uses gymnastics to kill a <laughs> velociraptor because... That is that it, you've taken what is one of the scariest recent cinema monsters, and you've had a kid use gymnastics to kill it. And no, 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 no. And they were the breakout stars of this movie. You know, we all went to see to Jurassic Park to see a T Rex, and then you ended up coming away talking about the Velociraptor. So, um, no, not me. I was about the T Rex. I, 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 I don't mind this kitchen scene, but uh, for me, this, this. Everything after the T-Rex in this movie is not as good. This movie hits its high note too early uh, for me. I, I, I just, I, it's so good, that T-Rex attack, that I, I feel like it's, it's entertaining, but there is nothing in the second half of this movie that comes close to the T-Rex. Well, not, not this kitchen attack. Not nothing. Well, we're at the f- the climax now. And so uh, the finale has them being attacked in the lobby of, of Jurassic Park by the Velociraptors. And then the T-Rex shows up and that's when our villain becomes our hero and saves the day. We've got the hero shot with the, the him doing a King Kong roar and the, the, the banner saying when dinosaurs ruled the earth falling behind him. It happens very fast. Um... It's a it's a fantastic image, but I, I it's a slightly abrupt ending. I think thoughts on that? 
I agree with you, yeah. actually. It just sort of ends and then they try and wrap up the fact that Sam Neill likes kids now, so that just clears up that arc. Um, but it's I, even though it's, I think it's a little bit too long as a film, but you're like, oh, right, okay, we're just off now. That's it. Yeah. Um, I, I'm from a standpoint where I, I was sort of waning in the second half of this film, so I was happy for it to wrap up. I mean, I know I'm being down on the kitchen attack, and I, I would say there is one scene where they climb into the vents, um, which is it's really good. Like let's let's escape into the vents, uh, and the Jurassic uh, the Velociraptors are down below. I do think it's unnecessary for Sam Neill to kick the ladder away um, <laughs> yeah, <agreed>. after, <laughs> yeah. after they've climbed into the vents. Like he's like, ah, you think you're going to climb up this ladder and follow us? Not a chance. And um, but then. It's just like what the but the weird bit is uh, the the good bit rather is that bit where Lexi falls through the yeah and uh, the vent and the velociraptor's below her and it's like lying prone for a moment you see it trying to get back to its feet to get her and they pull her up that is an absolutely beautiful shot yeah it and, is. and that's one of the first times they used face replacement technology in a movie because that was a stunt woman doing that and the stunt woman accidentally looked at the camera uh, and so that they they digitally put the actress's face on the stunt woman, which is obviously really normal part of the course now, but that was the first time I think that was used. So yeah. And and then weirdly, um, Ellie and Grant are in the chopper leaving and they look really happy. They're really having a laugh and smile. (laughs) And I don't know what they're so happy about. (laughs) It's I've went round and round with this because I wrote quite I was like oh I hate it in anything when a woman catches a man being like the most basically sort of being civil to children and it's like oh my god he's incredible whereas a woman is expected to be nice to kids all the time so all he's doing is let these kids have a nap on him and that's that's okay like I don't think that shows that much love but she's like uh-huh are we gonna have children now and I think it's too much but then I thought I thought I'm possibly overthinking this a little bit and they are trying to tie up that arc of like he hates kids and now he doesn't hate kids and it is it's fine to do it like that but it just annoyed me a bit that she's like you the way she looks at him she's like you are gonna get you some and then some because you let some kids have a hug weird Mm. (laughs) okay should we do the bits (laughs) (laughs) why does that make you so uncomfortable (laughs) but anyway we'll talk about it later (laughs) should we do the bits Yes. Yeah. All right. Uh, Alex, favorite scene? Uh, the T Rex attack. It is the greatest scene in this movie. It's brilliant. The use of animatronics, the CGI, the gut of water, the flares, the keep absolutely still. It's visions based on movement. Everything about that scene. It's what I paid my dollar for to go and see this movie, and it delivered on that dollar. It's just a problem that it's too good for the rest of the film afterwards. Vicky. Um, let's hack the mainframe, which is a really stupid scene to pick. But I, I've just got a disproportionate nostalgia, affection and love for the scene where Lexi um, says it's a Unix system and restarts the, the system by using a filing system on a computer that doesn't use the alphabet, that relies on you knowing the geography of the park so that you can move your mouse around the files to find the bit that you want. And it takes about 20 minutes, <laughs> which is ridiculous. <laughs> lock the doors, uh, Lexi. Lock the... Lock. 
Lock the doors, Lexi, lock the doors. Lock yeah, and since we're talking about nostalgia for previous episodes of this podcast, which we've done, which is taking nostalgia to new levels, you know I have a weakness for this sort of thing, which is why I love Sandra Bullock's The Net as much as I do. Like, when a character sits down and says, let's hack into the mainframe, I am 100% behind you. I think it's brilliant. Hmm. Uh, I, I fucking love Timmy flying off the electric fence. I've already said that. <laughs> I could just watch that on a loop. It's so funny. This, this poor little kid flying through the air. Um, it could only have been made funnier if he was dead, as you said, Vicky. But um... <laughs> that electric fence, that electric fence provides a couple of great moments because Sam Neill pretending to these terrified children yeah. Uh, yeah. that he's been electrocuted is a killer gag. It's a I really mean, good. Man... Yeah, I thought that. What a brilliant bit of writing that is. That's a really funny thing to think of. Um, was it just a very quick one? Was I, I read somewhere that Harrison Ford was considered for the role before Sam Neill, which I think would have also worked. Yeah, they've just in the last couple of years they've said that. Um, no one's really gone on that. No one's really said why he turned it down, but um, he he said he didn't want the role. So, um, uh, but, yeah, uh, all right, I'll do. I was going to agree with you, Al, with the T Rex attack as my favourite, but fuck it, let's have Timmy flying off the fence. MVW, most valuable, <laughs> whatever. Vicky, what's yours on this one? Uh, Bob Peck as Robert Muldoon, even though his shorts are too short. Uh, he seems to be the only person taking the fact that there are dinosaurs, li- literal dinosaurs, around seriously. Um, and he does a very good job of that. Alex. Clever girl. Um, yes. Uh, mine, mine is Jeff Goldblum. Uh, this is going to piss you off, Victoria. For all the reasons Victoria doesn't like him, I love him because I think, you know, in that role, the kind of like the science bod, the fact that he's a freaking rock star and a scientist, I think is great. I'm like, wow, I've not seen a cool scientist since Hooper in Jaws, who I sort of <laughs> identified with and went, he's funny and cool. And I, I, I like that. So, yeah, it's, uh, you know, yes, too much leather for a tropical island. But that aside, he's, um, he's, he's a good, good one. Good guy. Great guy. Well, I, for me, I'd, I'd never heard of a velociraptor like a lot of people, I think, before I saw this film. So, um, and I, I think what's so effective about them is the fact that you have this problem with, with Godzilla and King Kong sometimes and, and the T-Rex. It's the, the size of it uh, makes it hard to, to make them a, a, a threat up close. And so here you've got a monster that's in the eyeline pretty much of of the of the heroes of the piece. So I think they work really well. So I had the Velociraptors and then I realized, why are you putting the Velociraptors? So I'm going to have the, the people who made the Velociraptors, the, te- <laughs> the technicians behind it, um, because I think they did a really good job of creating a, a new movie monster. And um, uh, that kitchen scene is, I still think holds up. So, and, uh, yeah, if, if anyone, if anyone has uh, experienced the Velociraptors and loved them and never made it uh, to Jurassic Park three, I, I would suggest never watching that if you want to keep velociraptors as a sort of scary thing <laughs> in your head because what you never want to see uh, as Jurassic Park 3 shows us is a velociraptor sitting in a plane seat turning to Sam Neill going hello Alan <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, and what would you change Alex um, so I've actually got one like and it's based on what I've been moaning about which is that the the, uh, the fact that the T-Rex bit is like so good and I, I want more T-Rex and I know we see it with the Gallimimus which I think is a really great moment that we didn't mention where it just bursts out of the tree line and grabs one of them I'm like oh it gives me chills the T-Rex much more than the Velociraptor so I actually think 
In terms of the perimeter fence with Joe Mazzello when he's on the fence and the threat being Laura Dern is going to turn it on while he's still holding on to it. I think that the T-Rex should appear at that point while he's still on the fence and be too scared to get off and start coming towards him. So like the T-Rex is coming to grab him and Laura Dern's turning the switches and in the end, the electricity blows him off the fence so you still get your favourite moment, Chris, and it blows him out of the T-Rex's reach and it's like the electricity comes back meaning the T-Rex can't get through the fence to the others on the other side. So yeah. I want the T-Rex in that scene. That's a good idea. Vicky? Um, it would be uh, Dickie Attenborough, John Hammond. He either needs to be nicer and be more bothered about his grandchildren or, as you said, he is in the book, really awful and completely unbothered. But he's sort of in the middle. Like He doesn't, he doesn't mention it enough times. Like he, he should be very, very, very worried that his grandchildren are... Um, in the park and the dinosaurs are loose, but he doesn't seem to care. And then he cares right at the end where he's like, are the children all right? But it's a bit too late by that point. So it could just be a total shit and not care or be a nice, lovely granddad and be more bothered. Have you have you ever seen uh, Brighton Rock, uh, the version of that with Richard Attenborough as Pinky? Yes, yeah. <laughs> I think he should have channeled that performance because he is terrifying in that film. And you think of him as this kindly old granddad-like character when he's old, but he could do nasty if he wanted to. So yeah. Yeah. Give us a bit of pinky. Um, mm. In terms of... Is he Scottish in it? Yes. He is, <laughs> no, he is supposed to be Scottish. Right. His accent's bad and your accent's worse. That's true. Uh, <laughs> we've spared no expense. <laughs> <laughs> um, so in terms of changes, screenwriter David Cope, I've, I've, I've heard him talking about this. He, he, um, he's been criticised heavily for... Um, how long it takes for the film to properly get going. And he reckons on his, on his tombstone, it will say it took too long to get to the island. Um, yes. Because people keep saying that, Tim. But for me, there's one thing I noticed that I think could be removed. Um, there's too many limps in this film. Uh, John, Hammond, <laughs> John Hammond has a limp at the start. Ellie develops a limp. Timmy develops a limp. And Malcolm develops a limp. So you've got four limps yes. by the end of this movie. That's too many limps. Um, Laura Dern's limp is the worst. That <laughs> bit where she's limping out of that. I, like, I don't understand what, I don't think you really see what happened to her. And I don't, for me, a lot of it is like, it, that is the limp I adopted when I was in um, Dawn of the Dead, Zack Snyder's Dawn of the Dead. I don't know if I've mentioned that on the show before, but when I was a, <laughs> a, a, a zombie in Dawn of the Dead, Zack Snyder's Dawn of the Dead, I gave myself a limp. And when I see Laura Dern's limp, um, I'm like, that's the limp I gave myself that I was told to not do. Oh, really? When so... you see Oscar winner Laura Dern's limp, you think, yeah. That's like yeah. my limp. Okay, <laughs> it's a weird moment though because I think she's great in this, but the moment where she's like coming, like she's got this really gurney sort of run. She's like, run! I'm like, <laughs> I don't like the way she shouts at Sam Neil to run because he's not on the same page as her as well. He's sort of like, oh, no, she's hey. not saying it to him. She's saying it to herself because she's scared. She's like, just run, as in get to Sam Neil because no, she's hurt she's her leg. Not. She's saying she it is. to him. Anyway, no, whatever she's doing, she needs to open her mouth in that scene because it's all sort of said through, like, there's a sort of spittle through teeth, like, run. And I'm like, uh, What a director but, you would be. Laura, can you do it again? Could you open your mouth this time? <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm saying she's great in it. I just don't like the limpy run. I'm uh, not a fan of that. And run. It's a bit weird. Yeah, no limpy run, no spitty mouth. Fine. Uh, I think these. 
I think these are great directions, by the way. If I was Laura Dern and I watched my performance back, and I'd be like, why did no one tell me about my spitty run and my limpy limp? I'd be, I'd be like, that, could someone... I'd be, if I'd been there, Laura... Hey, how are you doing, Alex? Sorry, I do a podcast. Um, if I'd been there, uh, I'd have told you that. So uh, there you go. Oh, I'm kind <laughs> Can of, I sit down? Oh. I'm kind of regretting bringing up the limps now. Um, my actual change, though, I think... Um, when I was 15 years old in 1993, this was the perfect version of this film for me. But now I would love to see an 18 rated version of this film with proper, proper horror, gore, porn. you know, oh. violence and a bit of porn. Yeah, I think I'd like to see, <laughs> <laughs> you know, not not playing that. No, don't play the kills for last. Do, 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 do the horror version of this. I, I, I think I'd get a lot out of that. And more deaths. I think more people should die. I think they should like. I think we should stock up on like henchmen uh, or like jo- like more staff for to just get munched. Also, I'd like to see Samuel L. Jackson get attacked on screen. I just want more dinosaur. I think you're right. A bit more dino on human action in a in a horror sense specifically, or a porn sense. Am I right? <laughs> <laughs> Clever girl. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> It's the gift that keeps on giving. Right. Uh, has that drawn a, 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 a line under a Jurassic Park, Christopher? Yes. Yes. And I think if we're coming to the verdict, I think clearly, Alex, you need to say your opinion first, as it seems like we know where that one's going. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! Well, opinion seems like a grand way of saying one word. Jaws. Obviously, it's my favourite film of all time. It is the reason I love cinema. Um, so now I'm actually explaining more. I was just going to say Jaws, so I've messed up, but it was going to be quite like effective Jaws like that. <laughs> hey, yeah, I, I, I love Jaws. It's, it's the reason I'm sitting here doing this podcast with you guys. It was the film that made me love cinema and made me realise the power that film could have, possibly in a massive negative way for, for me, like you say, Victoria, uh, you said on Monday, I, I, I've never either uh, made love in the sea or, um, or weed in the sea. Um, yeah, not at the same exactly. time, separately. So, um, yeah. <laughs> Jaws. You've also never swum in the sea. I think we should say that as well. That's kind of that, <laughs> the sex, the sex and the pissing. The sex and the pissing should that be wasn't, left. That, that I would, I'm quoting. That wasn't mentioned yeah, on Monday. Yeah. And yeah. I will tell you for a fact, 50% of the people that are in the sea are there to have a wee. They're not there to swim because it's difficult to get to the toilet when you're on the beach. Everyone knows that. Yeah, in fact, and, most and, of the time, I only go in the sea to have a wee. That's and the, the other 50% are in the sea to have sex. That's what you get at a beach. That's why I don't go to beaches because it's either people having sex or pissing in the sea. That's all. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Victoria, what's your vote in the verdict this week? Do you want me to go last because I picked the films, which was a, a point Chris made last week, which is a really excellent point. Okay, okay. Uh, Chris, do you want to throw your uh, hat into the proverbial ring? Well, I love the fact that the story is so simple in Jaws and it's got that classic hero's journey. As I said on Monday, that perfect dramatic triangle really makes that final hour. But Jurassic Park, you've got the the thrills, but you've also got all that technology. Like the film started a, a proper paradigm shift in the industry you know, from practical to CGI and from actually larger one from movie stars to special effects became the movie stars. So as we said, and Vicky keeps bringing up, there's lots of similarities between these films. Um, I think <laughs> there are some fundamental differences that help make up my mind, though. Um, you've got shocking kills versus funny kills. You've got no exposition versus tons of exposition. You've got an invisible foe versus multiple monsters filling the screen. Um 
against any other summer movie, I think Jurassic Park could win. But ultimately, Jaws is why every blockbuster is chasing. That's what they're going for, which is why my vote goes to Jurassic. No, it goes to Jaws. Yeah! (laughs) Victoria closes out. What would yours have been? Well, Jurassic Park is closer to my heart, but Jaws is the better film, so Jaws. Three for three. I'm so happy. Oh, um, thank you, guys. Jaws is the winner on this week's Clash of the Titles. So let's look ahead. Um, Victoria, I know you need to go uh, because I, I, I can hear children <laughs> in the background. And, you know, yep. uh, you've got to go climb some perimeter fences. Um, They're coming in I... here to correct all your dinosaur facts. I can hear them <laughs> scratching at the door going on about right. feathers. I'll be very quick then. The clue I gave you at the end of last week's episode for what this or next week's episodes are. The Clash next week. The clue was American High School is bloody awful if you're not one of the good-looking kids. John Hughes, John Hughes. Is it John Hughes? Is it John Hughes? (laughs) It's not John Hughes. No. The actual answer is Heathers versus Mean Girls on next week's Clash of the Titles. Christopher, you get Heathers. And Mean Girls goes to Victoria. (laughs) We're back next week doing Heathers and Mean Girls. In the meantime, get in touch on Twitter at ClashPod or email us, which is show at ClashPod.com. And please do uh, rate and review us on Apple or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to us and the rest. We love it. Thank you so much for listening. Back on Monday. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. This was a Stakhanov production. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.